I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Greg Killian. And this is the From First to Last podcast. podcast it's a podcast with my friend craig and i we get together each week we work our way through a director's theatrical filmography from the first film all the way through to their last and craig we are pretty deep in the season eight now we we're, are we're almost to the halfway point <gasps> i know it's exciting know, isn't it? weird halfway point you know I you know. were just telling me what we've got coming up soon and i'm yep. like man this is a very crazy halfway point in my mind in my memory we're going up but we might be going down. We might be going straight <laughs> ahead. I'm not sure. In my mind, though, from memory, we're going up. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I think today's film, which we'll talk about what that is very soon, mm. I think in my mind I was expecting this is the start of the decline. Yeah, but, like, I've heard a couple of people say the decline. Yeah. But I don't get it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think like from memory, man, I don't remember he's like the ones you're talking after this. I always thought it was just I never saw it, that decline. Maybe the later, later times, like you know, I'm yeah. thinking like Bright Eyes. I've never is it Bright Eyes? Big Eyes, Big Eyes, Big Eyes. Yeah, I haven't seen Big Eyes. Um, yeah, so I haven't seen Big Eyes either. So no. I was like, is that it? You know, Miss yeah, Peregrine. Miss Peregrine. I feel like Miss Peregrine was the last one that I was like, oh. Okay, you know, with him. But, um, so, but I do think today is a very important film in his filmography, especially after watching it. Mm. I think this really starts us down a path. And we talked about last week, we talked Edward. Yes. Um, and a, a real thing that popped up in that, Craig, was that we both felt this was a new direction for Burton as a filmmaker. Yes. We'd sort of stepped out. It still had quirky elements, mm. but there was a grounded nature of the film. And it really sort of was a serious content that they were talking about. Still done with a bit of a Burton flair. Yeah, still Burton quirk. But in a weird way, Edward, which is the least straight story that he's done, yeah, <laughs> grounded in reality, was the straightest film that he'd made, if that makes sense. So you go, if there was a by-the-numbers way to make a movie, yeah, we probably got it in Edward because it's a storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hearing. But no, just, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a real person, obviously. With yeah. Quirky. Yeah. Exactly, and that's it. Probably comes along with, um, with a biopic. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he did it in uh, Burton Flair, and I think what we get here today is we start getting quite a spectacle of a film. <laughs> <laughs> and it is quite a it's a like big scale you, if, if you walk out of this film and not say it's not a spectacle you watch the wrong film yeah exactly yeah. no no this is a hundred percent and if i think about movies moving forward like like it's probably a really important one for burton because the scale of the film is so big yeah and we talked about what's coming up we've got um sleepy hollow coming up oh, God. we've got big fish we've got yep. Uh, Planet of the Apes. And, 
you know, we're we're really tackling some very large scale films. Yeah, like they're not just small little intimate pieces, which you'd probably say Ed Wood was more of a small and full fantasy. Piece. We're getting full fantasy. Yeah, and so like he's literally Attacks, leaving this earth now. He is, isn't like he? Like Edward was his last earthly film, <laughs> and now he's and probably up until we. I'm assuming when we see Big Eyes will be that yeah. film that we're we're back to earth. But really, like, I think this is a crucial film for for Burton today. Yeah, and we'll really get in there in a moment. But the fact that um, we are getting such a big spectacle and quite a high concept, <laughs> incredibly. Do you know what I mean? This, is, this yeah, it's like he's just just gone fuck reality. A hundred percent, Craig. And I I can't wait to talk about the roots of this film because it blew my mind in the research of what was done to get this made, and mm. also um, the journey that the the topic or the the title of the film is based upon. Which, in my head, I just thought this was for so long. This film was a weird satire to me. Like oh, almost really? like a spoof film. Mm. And so I I really, I don't even think I've seen, oh, I might have watched it once in my life. But I, once. I didn't retain anything in it aside from I thought uh, Annette Benning's head was Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that those two just terrified me. <laughs> So, I'm really excited. Uh, we are having a stack of fun in this season. Oh, so Craig. good, so can, good. Can I say, like, uh, can I ask Craig, I was going to say, um, at this point, this, can is say our, and ask. this is our 13th episode this season. Really? Uh, yeah, we have no. had a couple of doubles, you got to remember. We've oh, had okay, part yeah. ones cool, and part cool, two. Cool. So, I was like, um, shit, really? Far 13th around. episode. Uh, I'd love to know at this stage... What are you vibing? What's the vibe on Tim Burton at this stage? Oh, that he's just really getting away from the cocaine. He's going into those high LSD drugs. <laughs> <laughs> those high drugs. That's real. I think look, I really, as much as I joke like that, there's an essence of truth to how I see it. Is this is he's lifting off in a way? Um, in the fact that because he's getting more power. To what he does, you know, yep. he's becoming more of a master of his own vision. Yeah, and and he, because he's mastering his own vision more, he's able to move away from the grounded stuff. Yeah, this is I I think this is in my mind where he starts to become more fantastical. It's it's crazy too because if I think about our experience with other directors, mm. they when they reach this point where whatever they want they can do. Yeah. And they do reach that point, yeah. don't they? Um, we, we've talked about it in a number of seasons. Zack Snyder is a great example. Mm. Is once Zack Snyder reached that point of whatever you want, go for it, we get a film like Sucker Punch, which is extremely high concept. I liked it. But there it's are elements of fuck. it that just don't quite work. Yeah. Oh, it's just heaps that it don't work. You could... Um, and I think that basically... Yeah, I think you're right. But it's But it's funny. It's like... A lot of the directors we see who start off wacky, so let's say Sam Raimi. Okay? Yep, good one. There's a part of them where they want to show their serious side. Yep. Now, I haven't seen, obviously, Big Eyes, yep. but it looks like Burton has tried to skip that as much as possible. Yeah. You know but what I mean? Like, we don't end up with a dark man here. No, no, you no. Know, like Raimi no, does, exactly. which, which is like Raimi starts getting given a lot of rope. Yeah. So he makes a dark man. 
and you go, wow, that was so off kilter. Yeah. That it's almost out of control. Yeah, it is. You it's, know? It, it's incredibly, like even just like the shots and everything. And just, so, and, and so I think even today, the film Mars Attacks could have ventured into that realm of this is out of control. Oh, yeah, incredibly. Um, I think, um, and and it's funny that we say it is, this, you could see this as a film that Sam Raimi could direct. Yes. You know what I mean? Very and, much. And, and, but it's, yeah, oh, we'll, we'll get to it. We will, we'll, we we'll will. I can't it. wait. So uh, generally around this part of the episode, Craig, we sort of start talking about what has our director been up to following the last film that was released sex so <laughs> orgies uh, actually LSD. Uh, i didn't put anything in there but um this is actually it's funny you <laughs> mentioned sex not so much the orgies i'm not sure i'm not aware of this i reckon part he's of a banger but um <laughs> uh but he'd be really polite about it <laughs> his assistant would be really oh, no, he'd be really awkward his assistant afterwards. would be really polite about it <laughs> um mr burton needs you to leave the room <laughs> yes yeah, Yes, I'll, I'll clean up. I've got a Mr. Burton. So, thank you, Stephen. Burton. Actually, around this time between Edward, uh, I think it is post Edward, he starts a new relationship with an actress called Lisa Marie. Now, Ooh. Lisa Marie actually pops up as the she's the, the alien in Mars Attacks that invades <gasps> the White House. Oh wow! And they actually end up in a relationship that lasts all the way up until he meets Helena Bonham Carter. Wow, really? Yeah, so it's quite a long-term relationship. So that started around... Still reckon he bangs. Um, <laughs> uh, at, around here. But I, I forgot to write that down, actually. So uh, I'm glad so scruffy. you... scruffy. <laughs> hey. You know he doesn't he manscape at all. I reckon he's... Burton is ripped and clean. Ripped, ripped and clean. <laughs> it's just this gigantic dong with, this, <laughs> with like a tattoo of Jack Skeleton on it. <laughs> it looks like the snake out of Beetlejuice. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> He's got his foreskin tattooed. You gotta say the name three times. <laughs> you gotta say the name. <laughs> so many things going through my mind right now, Craig. All right. Well, so um, basically, this is where we would go through that journey from Edward to Mars Attacks, which is two years yep. between films. And um, normally there'd just be a few things here and there, but sort of this is one of those strap yourself in, Craig. We're going for awesome. a ride. Love these rides. So, following Edward, both Burton and Denise Denovi, who is his producing partner, yep. they have a production team together. They team up again with Henry Selleck, the director of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. And there has been, we'll take a little side tangent here, there's been a lot of tension in the press post-Halloween, which is just sort of wrapped up mm. at the time of recording, for the amount of people who have said Tim Burton's film Nightmare Before Christmas. And poor old Henry Selleck has not enjoyed that this time around at Halloween. Yeah. But I, he, he has, makes a good point, yeah. Oh, he has a very valid point that people need to give him the credit as director because mm. it's his film and has been very clear in it that Tim Burton wasn't very involved in Nightmare Before Christmas no, it's once his they concept. started filming. Mm. So uh, that's been just a little bit everywhere. But I think that was Disney's choice. He goes to on to Selicon? explain. No, to put Tim Burton on top of the... Oh, and from a marketing I, perspective? Yeah, from a marketing perspective. To put Tim Burton's name on top of the... Um, from the, the director of Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. It yeah, exactly. makes so much sense. Uh, but for poor old Henry Selick, he's probably living he's, in a shadow. Yeah, he's just like a Star Wars director. 
Like yeah. the early Star Wars directors. <laughs> yep, that's yeah. exactly right. Uh, people still think that George Lucas directed Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so right. Um, so they actually team up with Henry Selick for another stop-motion animated film. Yeah. Uh, the, the success of Nightmare Before Christmas was way beyond what they expected, and so they begin working on an animated stop-motion version of Roald Dahl's James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. Now, sadly, this project actually spells the end of Burton and DeNovi's production oh. partnership. Uh, I, I looked into it and did a stack of research to try to find out if anyone really talks about what it was that caused the split. Yeah. Was there a rift? Was it just time for them to move in different directions? Was it as simple as DeNovi had a contract with Warner Brothers and Burton had a contract with Disney? You yeah, know, true. that sort of thing. But really, there's not anything out there that goes into too much detail that you would go okay this is the reason Boo. but essentially in 1995 they they cease working as a production partnership yeah. and dissolve their company cool. um, production continues on with the film and James and the Giant Peach gets released in 1996 which is the same year as Mars Attacks yeah gross it's uh, a gross film and it actually got a lot of good reviews as well for James and the Giant Peach. Great cast too. Yeah, this is a great Richard cast. Richard Dreyfuss, Susan Just Sarandon. Gross. Um, in addition to this, Burton is actually linked to a number of high-profile projects in the works. I thought you were saying women. Including... <laughs> I knew it! <laughs> including a Catwoman spin-off film starring Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, now that obviously never came to fruition. He serves as producer as well on the third Batman installment, Batman Forever. <laughs> and he ends up making sure his name is not on for Batman and Robin. Yes. When okay. Batman and Robin as comes around. Uh, and in addition to this, he's also developing a number of scripts. Now, I just want to take a little bit of time, if we can, Craig, and chat about a few scripts that he developed with a British playwright named Jonathan Gems. Now, Gems goes on to play a big part in today's er, episode as well. Gems. So it's quite a thing. So the first project they start working on is a sequel to a film we've already talked about on this podcast, Craig. Mm -hmm. The title of this film was Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Ooh. Now... This is obviously Random a, as shit. a sequel to Beetlejuice. Yeah. And the uh, script actually follows the Dietz family as they move to Hawaii in order to develop a resort. <laughs> yeah. Now, strangely, Hawaii pops up in a lot of projects that he was developing around this time. So I don't know if Burton's been taking a few holidays. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. He's just trying to claim it back. So he doesn't weird. strike me as a man with a tan. <laughs> I don't know what's just, going on. Maybe Lisa sits, Marie likes a trip yeah, to Honolulu. Maybe just Honolulu. sits in the hotel room and just looks out. So when uh, for the Dietz family, when they begin construction on this resort, they realise it's being built on top of an ancient burial ground. <sighs> don't so, people figure this out by now? As you would expect, Beetlejuice somehow is summoned yep. and makes his way to Hawaii and accidentally awakens the ancient spirits and all heck breaks loose. As it does. So... Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian basically was developed for quite a lot of time. And the reason the sequel actually didn't happen for uh, anywhere beyond that was actually that... Stupid concept. Well, <laughs> aside from a stupid concept, uh, is and we did have an animated series and there were many video games yeah, to do with Beetlejuice as well. But what actually was at the core of it all was that Winona Ryder had grown up and she's now in her 20s oh. and can't play oh, yeah, the teenage be. daughter. 
which she was so popular after Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. That anyone else playing that role would probably be seen as a negative. Yeah. So they just couldn't make the story work to have her as a 20-year-old. Yeah. Um, another interesting project is called The House of Usher. Ooh. Now, it's a reimagining of Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of much of Edgar Allan Poe's work, aside from The Raven. Mm. But Poe's short, it's a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, and it's a, a work of gothic gothic fiction, sort of like a he supernatural, loves, that's supernatural horror. Yeah. Um, I'm just blending all my words for some reason tonight as well. But it's about a man who is sent a letter by his childhood friend explaining that he's really unwell and he'd like him to come visit expecting that the end is near. He sort of arrives to their house, and the surname is Mr. Usher. Um, And so he arrives to the house and notices this big crack in the house that sort of goes all the way down to a lake and thinks, oh, that's a bit strange. And when he gets there, he's sort of um, caring for the friend, reading to him, feeding him, and he hears that the, the friend's sister is also ill that's been living in the house. She passes away, and there's all this stuff that goes on that is just catastrophe after catastrophe. And pretty soon he starts... uh, believing that the state of the house is linked to the health of the people within the house. Okay. And so that's the 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 crux of the short um, story. It's actually seen as one of Poe's great works and has been adapted into further films. Uh, but what Burton hoped to do with Gems is to set it in suburban Burbank and actually have it um, in a modern time. Yeah, that would have been interesting. So you could see how it starts to get Burtonified if you were to, to yeah. give it that thing. So that's the House of Usher. Uh, yeah, the House of Usher. Christian Bale has a new film with um a character with Ed Galen Poe as a character. Pale Is that Blue Eyes. Pale Blue Eyes. It looks really interesting. Yeah, doesn't it does it? look really interesting. I'm I'm a real fan of Christian Bale. I think mm. I'm I'm happy. And the guy it. who plays Ed Galen Poe too. I can't remember his name for the life of me. Me either. That's terrible. Uh, Remember his face, though. He has a really weird, froggy face. <laughs> yeah, he's no John Cusack, though. No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> did I, you ever see the Raven? Telltale Heart? Oh, he did. He did a version of Telltale Heart too. Oh, did, did he? he? Oh, yeah, I've seen no, the, Raven, the Raven, where it's sort of like a. That's the guy that directed James McTeague. The guy that directed V for Vendetta directed that film. Really? That was his follow-up to V for Vendetta. Oh, my god! The Raven. I know, oh, really sad. win them all, yeah. He also did that awesome Ninja Assassin, remember? We I love that. Ninja Assassin. Me too. That's fantastic. That's just a horrible, horrible it's joy a, to me. It's like an awesome guilty pleasure, yeah, it is, isn't it? Is. I like a good Ninja movie, man. Yeah, me It's like one of the first good action-packed ninja films where it wasn't like The Great White Hope like with Michael Dudikoff or something. Yeah. (laughs) I love it, Craig. Now, speaking of things that you love, Mm -hmm. you love a Western, don't you? I do love a good Western. You love a good Western. Tim Burton's going to do a fucking Western. What? Oh, Craig, this is going to be the most exciting unmade project. Oh, 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 this is interesting. That we have heard from Tim Burton. This is called The Hawkline Monster. Oh, this is already awesome. Okay. And like I said, it's by far the most fascinating project that Burton has not made to date. And you are really going to wish that this had happened. It's a gothic supernatural western. Good. About two gunslingers who are hired by a Native American woman. Now, they're hired to take part in a job. Not really sure of what's going to happen to start with. Yeah. Uh, 
they both become romantically involved with the woman and oh. and are asked to go to some ice caves in order to hunt down a monster that has been causing issues for their community. Now, it's based upon a book which, as you read through, it's pretty... I don't think the film would have gone there. There's trips to brothels and all sorts of things. but And it's the fifth installment in a series of books about these two gunslingers. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So, and, it really and it's all supernatural or is it just that? Uh, yeah, that supernatural westerns where they're pretty much like bounty hunters that go in and just fix things for Fantastic. People. Now, if Burton directed this, and let's be honest, a Burton-directed supernatural western sounds pretty Sounds incredible. amazing. Now, picture that the gunslingers were both played by Jack Nicholson what? and Clint Eastwood. Boo. Oh, did they never got them signed on, though? Both signed on to the film. The fuck? And it took too long to get into production. And once Nicholson dropped out, Eastwood dropped out, then Burton dropped out. Idiots. But, yeah. Idiots. <laughs> Could you imagine that? That would have been either the worst or greatest film ever. Oh, man. If you could have had Gene Hackman as the villain. <sighs> shut the front door. Shut the, the monster. front door. <laughs> have him as the monster. Now, from one project you would never have expected Burton to Oh, man, to that do. pisses me off. <laughs> I know how great would it have been. We're going to jump to a project that sounds so Tim Burton that it's incredible. This film is called Go Baby Go. Go Baby Go. Once again, we're set in Hawaii. What? And it it's been was watching to too be many Elvis films. in a Russ Meyer style film. <gasps> really? Yeah. Like short shirts, skirts, and big sh- tattoos. It's the story. Go Baby Go is the story of three go go dancers. Yep. Who, after a science experiment goes wrong, <laughs> grow to be over 300 feet tall and wreak havoc on the Hawaiian beachside town they are in. Oh, my Lord. So it's like the attack of the 50-foot woman. Or yes, it is, Craig. And unfortunately, at the time, HBO made a reimagining of the attack of the 50-foot woman. Yeah. And as a result, this project was scrapped because oh. they just would have been too similar in, in stylings. three of them. <laughs> it would have been six <laughs> movies. <laughs> so they were all projects that Jonathan Gems was developing with Tim Burton during this time. So it's this time where Burton just goes, yeah, you're a curse, John. <laughs> well... He's not, because we'll find out later on that he's not. But they were all sort of projects that were, Gems was working on with Burton. Over the love to read that Go dream. Baby Go. Oh, and the, um, the, the I Western. do know the Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian script is available online to read. Damn. Um, I haven't looked into the Hawkline monster, but uh, the, the novel actually sounds really fascinating. Oh, it'd be cool. Cool, so cool. We're going to jump on to now, Craig, uh, before we really get deep on the story and the journey of Mars Attacks as a film. We're going to jump into the cinematic landscape for 1996. 96, wow. Now, in terms of major movements in the cinematic landscape, it's a bit of a quiet year yeah. in 1996. But that doesn't mean it's a bad year for film. Uh, in, in terms of from first to last podcast... We've only spoken about one film from 1996, which is quite rare because we tend to have whatever have year there, there's quite a number of films being mm. released at the same time, almost like there's waves that we ride. <laughs> uh, and the only film we've had is Ron Howard's dark thriller, Ransom. Oh, really? With Mel Gibson. So that's a film from 1996. Now, the Oscar darling from 1996 was The English Patient. Received 12 nominations and won nine Oscars, including Best Picture, 
and best director for Anthony Minghella. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Hey. Yeah, no, I don't want to see that. Uh, also receiving a number of nominations was Fargo with seven nominations. Oh, I saw that. that. Brilliant. Great film. Absolutely uh, brilliant. Got two wins for Fargo. Francis and, McDormand. And Francis McDormand won one. Uh, and Jeffrey Rush won Best Actor for his portrayal of pianist David yes, Helfgott. Yes, that was fantastic. Incredible Watched parts of that the other day. Oh. Have you ever seen David Helfgott perform with Silverchair? No. So the Neon Ballroom album has a number of songs with a piano and they start with one uh, called Emotion Sickness, I think is the first song, and they brought David Helfgott in and he plays the piano line throughout it all and it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, he's pretty wild. Oh, and so there's footage of him walking in and he's he's literally got a carer that brings him in because he's just constantly repeating. But the moment he sits behind the piano, you just tell he's just transformed and just, yeah. Jeffrey Rush does a great job, oh, an absolute cracking job. So, Craig, here's what was released in 1996. Awesome. Big year for box office films. I'd say it's a blockbuster year. Oh, good. I like blockbusters. In first place worldwide was Independence Day. Oh, wow. 817 have you the million. sequel? No, I haven't. Neither have I. Have you? No. Yeah. I'm interested. Tried I have. To push old Hemsworth up there. Oh, just like they are with The Witcher. Yeah. Well, look, I think he'll do better with The Witcher. I think at the time he was just. Going to have to bulk up. Baby. Get on Brother Chris's app. Oh, yeah. Get on Brother Chris's <laughs> roids, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's all natural, yeah. Craig. Oh, the natural roids in Byron. <laughs> at the number two film is. One that I have not watched in a long time, but when you think about the cast, is pretty incredible. Twister. Oh, wow. $494 million. Do you want to blow my mind? I hadn't put pieces together that the stoner that drives the uh, storm-chasing van, yeah, the cameraman, is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Holy Jesus, I totally forgot that too. It yeah. is too. <laughs> so, and it's Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Crazy, Man, right? Oh, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. And they hold themselves down by a belt? Yep. Tied to some plumbing. That's right. Awesome plumbing, awesome belts. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. The number three film was Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible. Oh, brilliant film, man. Fantastic. Brilliant film. film. That took $457 million. Such a weird film to start off that franchise because it just never gets like that ever again. Oh, it's if you put the latest one with this one, Mm. it's so grounded. It's so like. It's so real. I just love it. But it's going to be amazing, you know, because Kittredge is back. I can't wait. I'm I so wait. excited. I'm so hey. excited for it. Yeah. I'm I, so pumped. Look, I've got to be honest. I, I like love, Mission Impossible series. I, I love, love Me too. It's it's like a highbrow Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it is. It is. I love it so much. Number four was The Rock with Sean Connery, Ooh. Nicolas Cage. I actually You're just bought it the other day. I'm so I I'm love so it. Keen. It's a fantastic film. It is fun. You're it him. is fun. You're the rocket man. <laughs> Number five was Disney's The Hunchback in Notre Dame. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Haven't you? No. Oh. Is it a happy ending or it's a bad one? Yeah, he gets the girl. What does he? Yeah. Oh. The gypsy girl. Esmeralda Ooh, with the green eyes. Esmeralda. Oh, fantastic. Number six was Disney's live action remake of 101 Dalmatians starring Glenn Close. Oh, yeah. She was fantastic. She was. Number seven, as we've talked about, was Ron Howard's Ransom. Yep. Fantastically dark was for good. Ron Howard. Uh, number eight surprised me a bit. Eddie McGuire. Uh, uh, Eddie, Eddie McGuire. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, 
Eddie Murphy in The Nutty Professor. Man, one of the funniest movies when I first ever watched oh, it. Oh, it's so... I just fucking cried. It was one cried. of those first comedies for me. Groundbreaking. That was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking. And it was one of the first that just became quotable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everyone just kept saying lines from it over and over again. Anchorman. Totally. Totally, Craig. So, yeah, super groundbreaking. At number nine was Tom Cruise in Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. He had a good year this year. That's still an amazing, an amazing film. I've got a soft spot for Cameron Crowe films. Oh, man. He's just fantastic. It's Cameron Crowe. Number 10, Space Jam. Space Jam. Yep, the OG. We'll we'll run through this now, Craig. What's incredible about this is when I start saying this list of what else was released. There's so many films that I watched over and over again. So this must be a vintage year for just when Jeff was watching lots Jeff of. Jeff had heaps of time in this year. So Twelve Monkeys was released. You know what? Seen it once, never liked it. Really <sighs> hated. I loved Brad hated Pitt. Brad Pitt in it. I loved I hated him in Brad it. Pitt in it, man. Uh, from Dust Till Dawn. I've watched that way too many times. <laughs> Me too. Way too many times. Here's one I watched way too many times. Happy Gilmore. Oh, ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. So it is just yeah. still funny. I don't know. I'd be interested in someone from a new generation to watch it. Me too. Because I, I think I would still sit there through it and just crack up laughing through all of it. I don't know whether it's just a generational thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm I'm on board for it, Craig. I love that oh, movie so much. Love it, love it. Uh, Mary Riley was released. Now that I put that I saw in there it once because it's very important for the Tim Burton filmography. Yep, and he was close to directing that movie, so starring Julia Roberts. And um, who played John Malkovich? That's it. Um, also released was Fargo, as we mentioned before. Fantastic. Robin Williams was incredible in The Birdcage. Oh, Le Cage of Four. That's awesome. He's so great in that That's film. Is Hank Azaria, that was one of the funniest side characters Nathan ever. Lane? Nathan Lane was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely I need brilliant. to revisit it. Hey? Seriously, man. Gene Hackman. Talk yeah. about Gene Hackman. Man. So great. And Diane Weiss. Yeah, Diane Weiss. There we go. There we go. Great films. Now, here's a groundbreaking film because it launched an actor into superstardom. This is Edward Norton's first film. American History X. I'm not American History X. Primal Fear. Primal Fear. Can you imagine that being your first performance? Oh, man. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Now, spoilers. And that's one of Richard Gere's best films. Oh, Richard Gere was so great in that film. Amazing. It oh, was perfectly made for him that role. It totally was. I'm, I'm so keen to watch that I've movie. I've got a couple of the books at home. Oh, have you? Mm. Oh, man. Uh, James and the Giant Peach, as we talked about, also released was Mulholland Falls. Watched it once. Yeah, I don't Mulholland think I've ever Falls, seen it. Or is it. Yeah, or Mulholland Drive. Which one is it? David Lynch. Is this David Lynch? Yeah, is it Drive, is it? No, it could, Falls. It could be Falls. I, I think it's got... Uh, I'll have to look. I've, I've written Mulholland Falls. So. Is Naomi Watts? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure who the other person is. Yeah. I, li- I literally bought it at a. Uh, I went to a fate, a church fate the other day. I'm getting confused. I got it for fifty one cents. Bill Paxton. It's not the Bill Paxton one. Okay. Oh, maybe it is the Bill Paxton one. I don't know. We're terrible at this. Yeah, I know. This is horrible. <laughs> Great listening. Uh, Dragonheart was released. Oh, I love Dragonheart. Yeah, I love it. Billy Zane was the Phantom. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh my God, Marie. Did, I, did you see the thing I sent you about Maria? Yeah. Oh, How okay. great was yeah, it? Yeah, no, I did. I was like, quiz. I know that lady. She was like, yes. yeah. Love it so much. Um, ben Stiller makes his debut directing with the cable guy. Cable guy. 
Yep. Jack Black. Yeah, Jack Black. I hated Jack. I, I watched up in this film. I watched the basketball scene again the other day. Did you? It's still one of the funniest scenes ever. I feel like I didn't like Jim Carrey for a good portion of my life. Yeah. Um, and, I could see that. And uh, Cable Guy was He's the like first. Will Ferrell. Yeah, yeah. It's a, Well, this was the first film that I saw him in. And so I just felt it was really mean-spirited. Oh, it's incredibly mean-spirited. Yeah, and it really just didn't resonate with me. So I feel like I need to go back and watch it. I feel like sometimes Stiller can just invoke that. Stiller's vibe. dark, man. Yeah, he, he is. He can be a dark dude. All these characters have a sort of darkness to them. Yeah, totally. That you just go, oh, if it wasn't a movie environment, I probably wouldn't hang out with the dude. 100%. 100%. <laughs> uh, also released was Danny Boyle's Train Spotting. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The Islander, Dr. Moreau. Man, I'd love to just go into a deep dive on that one. Great. Have you watched the documentary yet? On it? Doom no. Soul? No. Oh, I've got it. I'm going to lend it to oh, you. Oh, awesome. So awesome. the documentary is I remember reading a huge Empire article about it. The Doom Soul, uh, Lost Soul, The Doom Journey of the Island, of Richard Stanley's The Island of Doctor. <sighs> it is an incredible documentary that goes into details. He actually talks about how he wanted this project so bad he went to a witch doctor and started getting like um, witchcraft put over the the production. Awesome. And it goes to heck. And the cast and crew, um, there's times where Brando is so out of control that they shut down production for, for weeks. And the cast and crew just are like partying all night. And it just gets like out of control they party in costumes there's like all these dancing pig people just going Fantastic. wild you gotta see it Craig I've it gotta watch it is crazy town I'm David Tholas goes go through all of it hey awesome and even like they talk about Brando wanting that little person he <laughs> saw in some <laughs> random movie and Ice buckets on his head, all sorts of weird things. You gotta, you just gotta see it. Craig. That's how That's I incredible. see the future of Kanye West. <laughs> Seriously, it's he's gone full Brando. Full, he's going full. He's going worse than full Brando. <laughs> he's gonna come out one day, face painted like the Islander Doctor Moreau, just painted white and shit, <laughs> and he's just gonna have a little midget dude next to him. Sorry, a small person a next to him. A small Kanye. Next just to him. a little, yeah, a little small Kanye who's still, who's still, who's a white god dude dressed in black, like black face. Little yay. Yeah, little yay with a little uh, Marga hat on. Is gonna, oh. and that's gonna be him. Seriously, man. Seriously, that's so funny, Craig. Uh, Tom Hanks has his directorial debut with That Thing You Do. That Thing You Do. I was reading. So um, great. Watched. Oh. So I watched a little mini documentary that had heaps to do with that. Really? So the guy who wrote the songs for that is um, he's considered a great songwriter. He had a, he's at his own band and they've, they made it to three on the list once. I can't remember the song off my head. But he, the lead singer of it, writes, has written all these songs for all these movies and makes all these money off all these songs. He passed away, I think, about six, seven years ago. And it talks about that thing you do and how each melody in that is like such a, so um, amazing. Like this guy breaks it down yeah. because it's the, he, the, he tributes um, the Beatles as well as the Beach yeah. Boys in in all the music and it gets it's so well written it's so brilliant 
it's just a shame it's just for a movie. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I'll, I'll send you the link to it. I'll, oh, I love it, Craig. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, Tom Hanks views it as his favourite film of all time. Uh-huh. So the, the, the most that he's done in his career, that's the one that he loves the most. Oh, of course. He's, that's his baby. <laughs> uh, also released was The Ghost in the Darkness. Oh, Val man, Kilmer, I only Douglas. watched that once, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, I, remember I used to it watch it a lot. Oh, did you? Yeah, I loved yeah, it. I, rem- I, don't, I remember not not enjoying it. I remember yep. it going, you know, it's just killing lions, man. Uh, Romeo and Juliet was released. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Damn. It's a good year. Uh, Shine, Daylight. Do you remember Daylight was Stallone? Yeah. I always Vigo think of Daylight every time I go under the friggin'. Me too. Harbour shit. Tunnel. Vigo Mortensen's in it? Vigo Mortensen is the cave climber, the extreme sports guy that does the... <gasps> he is! Yeah. Jeff. <laughs> I'm breaking your brain with all that's my... That's uh, like, head. Yeah, that's Vigo yeah, Mortensen. Vigo can speak seven languages. He's an incredible man. You ever seen these interviews where he goes across the world and he speaks? <laughs> like people just ask him like he and he just does just breaks into all these different languages. Have you seen him you've seen Eastern Promises? No. Oh no, it's that, golly that that's a regret film. That's a regret film. That's up there. Is so that was great like, I've got to, yeah, film. I've got to. I've got so to. great. Uh Scream was released. I loved Scream. And our favourite cookie smelling angel. Michael. <gasps> I liked Michael too. Me too. Man. Me too. Man, she, Andy McDowell's hair. As curly as yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been talking <laughs> off mic. Uh, strangely, I grew my hair long in in lockdown. Yeah. And now I'm back in the workforce uh, post-COVID lockdowns. Mm. Cut my hair off and it's turned curly when for my That's entire so life, Craig, I've had weird, straight man. It's so weird hair. to watch Jeff right now. It's like he's trying to, like, he's going through one of those weird midlife crises. Yeah, it's like I got a just, perm. He's just like... <laughs> I think I think curls are in. <laughs> you know what they say in the Wog Boy trilogy? <laughs> curls get the girls, girls Craig. Yeah, bro. Curls Bully. get the girls. Bully. So, Craig, that's a cinematic lens. That's a fantastic cinematic lens. So it's, it's a big old year of film and a wide spectrum of sort of concepts yeah. throughout it. Uh, a few high concept things in there as well, which I think is really quite fascinating. So for all those people at home, Craig, that uh, may never have seen Mars Attacks... Mm. Uh, may have seen the cover or poster and thought, I don't think I'll ever go there. Yeah. And for those people at home who are like, man, this is one of my favourite films ever, which I've had a few people reach out and say that this is one of their favourite films. Oh, there's a huge following. Yes, there is. So let's take a moment, Craig, and let's just hear about it. Based upon the popular trading card series, this film tells the story about Earth being invaded by evil Martians with unbeatable weapons and a hilariously cruel sense of humour. With an all-star ensemble cast, let's talk about Tim Burton's manic sci-fi film, Mars Attacks. So good, Craig. Now, normally we would jump into the journey to screen right now. We'd just fire right in there. But I don't know if you noticed in the uh, opening credits, and it's some really fun opening titles to this film... (laughs) Very Ed Loved Wood it. inspired. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. Um, there was a based upon, Mars Attacks is based upon the Tops trading cards. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, whoa, whoa, we were. Man, I remember Tops. Yeah, Tops did basketball cards yeah, as well. Yeah, fucking oath, man. They were huge, man. Tops, but they weren't flair. They, they were, were just- oh, 
Upper deck. An ultra flare. Yeah. <laughs> Upper deck. But yeah, they were tops, man. Tops, tops were awesome. Yep, they were. Tops did some good, com- I think, comic book cards as well. So, well, I thought if it's okay, let's get a little bit of context on Mars Attacks. Do the it. The trading cards. Do it. Before we get into this, because that's a really fascinating little thing. So, released in 1962, mm. Mars Attacks was a science fiction themed trading card series released by Tops. They sold for five cents a packet. Wow. And included a stick, stick of bubble gum. You used to get it with the cricket ones. <laughs> yes, you ones? did. Yeah. And the Batman ones. And the Batman, Batman, Batman movies. Yeah. And it had that little powder in it. Yes, oh. the corn flour to make sure they yep. didn't stick to the cards. Now, each card featured Is artwork. Is that why? Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. No one blew my fucking mind. Thanks, mate. <laughs> You're just blowing my mind tonight. Hey, I'm a teacher. What can I say? Yeah, e- each card featured artwork by Wally Wood and Norman Saunders. Now... Normally, I wouldn't go, it's featured by these people as yeah. if they're someone. But these guys actually are sort of unsung heroes on a few things. Oh, really? This is so, interesting. Wally Wood is an artist who gained fame as one of the original artists working on Mad Magazine. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so he's one of the forefathers of Mad Magazine. And so he worked on Mad Magazine from 1952 through to 1964. So 12 Damn. years in Mad Magazine. He's also one of the original artists on Marvel's Daredevil. Oh, fantastic. And he's credited as the artist who established Daredevil's red costume with the horns. Oh, wow. So that's Wally Wood. Now, Wally Norman Wood. Saunders was started out as a painter with pulp paintings yeah. for uh, westerns and detective stories. So those beautiful paintings that end up on the covers. Yeah. He was, that was what he did originally. And he began, began working on trading cards in the 50s. So in addition to working on the Mars Attacks trading series, he also was one of the primary artists for the 1960s Batman trading card series. Damn. So that's, that's uh, Wally Wood and Norman Saunders. Now, the Mars Attacks trading card series created a, a story arc that followed the invasion of Earth by Martians. And so you would collect all the cards to follow the journey as they were in order of the, that was played out across here. Now, the Martians are cruel. And as the story progressed, cards started beginning showing um, that the Martians were actually controlled by a corrupt Martian government. Awesome. Who had concealed the fact that Mars was going to explode, which is why they were invading Earth. Oh. So that's as the story progressed. That's why they did it, which is sort of you don't really get that. In no, no, not version. at all. So that's the reason. But I'm glad he actually, doesn't go too far down our path. It goes sort of, too, the world would be too expanded for the yeah, film, exactly. I think. Uh, so in general, the cards depicted futuristic battles between Martians and humans. Yeah. And really... Each card was an, a different way in which the Martians were attacking, torturing, and killing humans. Fantastic. Uh, as the story progressed, humans then began to volunteer to be a part of a mission to invade Mars, and the cards flipped the story to become the humans attacking and oh, killing the Martians. fantastic. Yeah, I know. Really cool, huh? Hardcore. So the series was super popular, and... Its success is actually attributed to the fact that at the time the Cold War was so prevalent in the media mm. that people really related to the way that they could be invaded. Yeah. And then people would rise up to take their country back, yeah. you know, or their planet back. And so um, the cards just keep playing out and they actually stop production the same year they started in 1962. Oh, what? Not even a full year of production. And the reason that they had to stop production 
was the cards gained massive popularity with children. So uh-huh. it became that thing that kids were buying because there was uh, extreme violence. Is this the Hayes Code? The Hayes Code? Yes, yeah, so I think it's called the Hayes Code. So there was a code that was brought in around about this time um, and comic books as well. Oh. And it really locked down a lot of comic book stories as well. So you couldn't rec- you couldn't say this, you couldn't show this, 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 and this. And so Highly comic plausible. books almost died because they were boring. Highly plausible, Craig, because the kids really loved it because it had extreme gore and suggested sexual content. So there yep. was a lot of... Um, Girls uh, with torn tops. Stuff blouses. like that. That's very B-grade with, stuff. Yeah. And the aliens were involved with that stuff as well, yep. uh, which we do see in the movie. The aliens are quite horny. <laughs> very horny. <laughs> uh, and so this gore and sexual content or suggested sexual content leads to them having to stop production because there was such outcry from uh, parents and family groups. Well, what uh, was the bubblegum like? <laughs> that's it, probably strawberry <laughs> flavour or that, that real bubblegummy flavour. Uh, I can still smell it, actually. I know, so can I, man, so can I. <laughs> it was I so can good. still feel it and then how, yep. like, when you first eat it, depending on how old it was, sometimes it could even scratch you as you're putting it in your yeah, mouth. It yeah. was really hard, wasn't yeah, it? <laughs> those corns were hard. Cool. Um, the cult following of the cards led to a resurgence in 1980 and Topps released some mini comic books outlining the story, showing awesome. the artwork. Uh, and again in 1994 when an expanded edition of the trading cards were re-released. That's fantastic. Now, the the release of the film then gave it another little burst of Mars Attacks back into the, um, in the general public. And lastly, a sequel series of cards were released in 2012 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the 50th. cards. 50th. Were they yeah. done by the same people? Or yeah, no, by Tops. By okay, oh, cool. no, they, oh, I don't know if the same artists were okay, involved. Cool. Oh, actually, I do know Wally Wood passed away in the 80s. Oh, so, uh, not before not. starting Wally World. <laughs> Wally World. Um, so that's just a little interesting sort of insight into the cards and actually how popular the card series is. That's fantastic. And you can imagine just Tim, this would be totally up a young Tim Burton's alley. Yeah, he would just adore this. Oh, he would love it. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting when it gets to Tim Burton because you would think this would be something that would be in his sphere of knowledge. Definitely. But not so much, Craig. Oh, wow. Yeah, really interesting. So... The idea of Mars Attacks was actually not something that Burton alone had tried to get off the ground. In fact, a film version was pitched back in 1985 by a gentleman named Alex Cox. Cox at this stage was a writer with a little bit of heat behind him because he had written the film uh, Repo Man. Oh, I love Repo Man. And he wrote Sid and Nancy. Oh, really? Yeah, so in 1985, Gary Cox... Cox gets to this point where people are saying, well, pitch us some more ideas. We want to hear what you got. And so he pitches the idea of Mars Attacks film to Orion and TriStar Pictures. Now, they think, okay, there's a little bit of something in this. And so they purchase the rights to the trading cards. Good people to pitch it to. Orion were always fucked in the head. They always had like those yeah, they're, they're little... weird, wacky. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. We call them A24 now. <laughs> A24 are always that weird ass. Or Bloomhouse. Yeah, Bloomhouse. They're always just... The, the off the center yeah. yeah but great films oh man A24 is like fantastic yeah. Bloomhauser <laughs> a little hit and miss but yeah A24 are always like man that's fucked up yep but I'm watching it yeah 
Love it so much. Over the next few years, Cox wrote four drafts on the film before being replaced as the writer, and then the project was put in a turnaround. Yeah. Uh, now, what's really fascinating in this portion of the journey is the fact that around the same times, uh, Cox wrote and directed a film called Walker. Now, Texas Ranger? <laughs> I thought the same thing. It is a Western. So, Walker is actually uh, based upon a true story and tells the story of a gentleman named William Walker. The film stars Ed Harris wow. as William Walker wow. and is categorized as an American-Mexican historical hybrid weird western. That's what it's called. It sounds well, really So weird. Sorry, well, this William Walker is based on a real person. Yes, it is. Okay, cool. So the film itself is the story of Walker who entered Nicaragua to start a revolution and ends up making himself president of Nicaragua. I think I've seen a trailer to this. And so it's a really cool story and you could see how a film could be made yeah. about this story. But what Cox did was he really wanted it to make this new modern take on it at the same time. So it's set in the 1850s yeah. in a Western, but features random modern elements such as helicopters, Diet Coke, Zippo lighters, cars, and a whole heap of other things that were not around in those times. So he's sort of like doing like a Knight's Tale type thing. Yeah, Remember that? Yeah. Well, before I really like a Knight's I Tale. I love Knight's Tale. Man. So, Who but, directed that? Oh, not too sure. Actually. I know. You that think that person was jumping into open too? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get look to into that. that. Um, so the film had a budget of six million dollars. That's not bad in the eighties. Yeah, pretty darn good. Damn right. That's so a couple of keys. It performed so poorly that Cox was blacklisted from any future Hollywood productions. Oh, man, he mustn't have been bad at it, too. He must have done something so, bad, too. Like, to get blacklisted like that, like, failures can be overlooked in some of the studios, yeah. but not just just bad behaviour. My just, research was that... Like, I'm meaning bad behaviour is money-taking yes, behaviour, not, you know... They got out of budget very quick, and he uh, wanted it filmed in Mexico, and I'm pretty sure drugs and a whole heap of other things were involved. Awesome. So it it was one. It There's was enough for me to go. I would be interested in seeing how wild yeah, this film is. Uh, so, does this play a part in his removal around the same time from Mars Attacks as the writer? Plausible. Very plausible, Craig. So we'll leave that. So. The idea of Mars Attacks as a project lies dormant until 1994. Uh, at this time, Burton had just released Batman Returns, Batman. is in production with Ed Wood, and involved loosely yep. with, quote-unquote, Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, so the project is pitched by Jonathan Gems. Now, Gems, as I mentioned earlier, was a British playwright who found himself working on scripts for Burton, such as Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House Usher, The Hawkline Monster, and Go Baby Go. Um, if you are going, what are those projects? Just rewind, probably 30 minutes, you'll hear us talk Listen. about it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Stop skipping around. So... In 94, Gems is shopping in a Hollywood gift shop when he stumbles across a set of Mars Attacks playing cards. Yep. He buys two sets and is so blown away by them that he just can't wait to show them to Tim Burton. You know, he obviously knows he's yeah, got a yeah, mate he knows, that's just going to love this. And so uh, he meets up with Burton, shows him the cards and says to him, imagine if we made this into a movie. Wouldn't it be cool? And Burton says, yeah. 
what can he come up with for? Hell yes. And so Gems actually ends up pitching two ideas to Tim Burton. One for Mars Attacks and one for a spin-off series of cards also by Tops called Dinosaurs Attack. Oh! Which is the same sort of thing, but basically dinosaurs coming to the future, attacking that sort of thing. Oh, like dinosaurs, like smart dinosaurs? <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. So dinosaurs attack is the other one. Uh, now Man, that'd be gory. <laughs> so um, that was released in the That's 80s. Jurassic Park. Well, let's see, and this is Jurassic Park actually plays a big, big role in this. So the, the Dinosaurs Attack was a trading card series that Tops released in the 80s, hoping to evoke nostalgia in Mars Attacks people. Yeah. Um, probably around the same time that Mars Attacks had its resurgence in the 80s. And Burton just loves the ideas of Dinosaurs Attack and actually wants that to be the project that they pursue. Uh because it could really draw on his love of Godzilla and that Japanese cinema, ah, you know, the big yeah. monster-style cinema. But following the massive success of Jurassic Park, both Burton and Gems decide Mars Attacks is probably the better of the two options to go down. So in addition to this, Burton really felt that Mars Attacks allows him, as his follow-up to Ed Wood, to then display some of the filmmaking techniques that Wood would have used. So there's homages to Ed Wood yeah. all oh, throughout the film. Jesus, yes. And so that was very intentional. So oh. he really wanted them to be like, you watch Ed Wood, now you can watch Mars Attacks and see as if my career is you yeah, know, really giving, film, yeah. uh, doing an Ed Wood film. And Plan B from Outer Space is regularly listed by Burton as one of the inspirations for this film. So Burton finds a home for the project at Warner Brothers and the studio then seeks to purchase the rights to the trading cards and secures the rights. Uh, Burton puts Gems to work and asks him to start writing a script and so sort of towards the end of 1994, Gems turns in the first script for Mars Attacks. Now, the script was incredibly ambitious. Is this still... Dinosaurs Attacks or we've gone to Mars? We've gone to Mars Attacks. Okay, cool. So we're in Mars Attacks now. So it's incredibly ambitious and the studio budgets the film at $260 million <laughs> based upon Jonathan Gems' first script. Now, you could understand a weird alien species invading Earth yeah. to comedically sort of B-grade kill people, they're not too keen on dropping $260 million. Mm. And they say to Jim... Well, Independence Day's released around this time. Well, and Independence Day does play a big part in this film. We'll get there a bit later. But uh, the studio say to him, listen, it's too obscure, an obscure card set from the 60s. We're not going to give you that sort of money. So you need to pair this back and you need to bring budget down to $60 million. That's good. Still a decent old That's budget. That's pretty good. So Gems starts working on it and turns in a number of drafts but really struggles to rein the project in and it results in him being replaced. Yeah. Now he's replaced by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Now, if you remember those names, they are the writers of Ed Wood. Oh, yes. They've previously just worked with uh, Burton and they work on the project through to the mid 1995. And they're, they're considered as the ones who brought a real focus on the individual characters. Yeah. So it's going to be more of an ensemble in probably in the vein of Independence Day. Yeah, yeah, very Lots true. of people's storylines going they on They converge. Uh, but they really bring it to a more character-focused 
and they also uh, created the satirical tone for the film that at San come to become known for what is, didn't have it before so I'm assuming oh, I, have to, I haven't read the cards so I don't so I'm assuming the cards were probably played out straighter Ah. And they were more of a, they're invading, almost like a Starship Troopers probably than, <laughs> than anything yeah. else, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and so Gems then is brought back onto the project yeah. after they've done their work. And he writes a total of 12 different drafts on the film. Damn. Now, he actually goes on as well to write a novelization of the film. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, which would be really interesting. But what's even more interesting is that in the novelization, he dedicates it to Tim Burton and says that uh, Tim Burton actually co-wrote the screenplay with him and took no credit on it at all or money as a screenwriter. Oh! So uh, this project is co-written by Burton. Now, Warner Brothers pushed really hard following the, the more recent drafts uh, they were concerned because Burton and Gems had made it really clear in their screenplays that the, the Martians would not have subtitles. So Warner Brothers were really quite vocal at the fact that they want subtitles so everyone can understand what the Martians are saying. Oh, okay, okay. Um, which obviously you could imagine Burton's adamant that they're not required at all. And yep. I'm really quite glad that they aren't. It is, yeah. It's funny though because the um, the version that I watched, which uh, I have on our, we've got a, our own private media server, so we, I watched it on that, and uh, I'd ripped it off the Blu-ray that I own, and I was really concerned, Craig, because I was like, "There's no subtitles. I'm missing out on what they're saying. <laughs> I've done this wrong." And I went and checked because it was on Netflix as well, so I went and checked on Netflix, and then I realised that there was nothing on there, and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> Great. They're just like, ack, 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 um, which I think is is incredibly hilarious. Uh, throughout the process as well, uh, Gems evolves his script from the first one, which had 60 main characters. 60? Down to what is now 23 main characters in the film. Yeah, around about uh, And its destruction was more contained. So it only focuses in the final one of destruction throughout the U.S., Paris and the Taj Mahal. Yeah. Whereas the uh, original versions was that uh, the Martians would actually, for quite a long time, move throughout the US destroying major monuments. Ah, uh, yeah. This is sounding yeah. very familiar to another film yeah. that we had talked about as well. Um, then it would move on to China, Japan, Russia, all throughout Europe and just do lots of these. So with these changes made, the film's given a $70 million budget and casting begins for Burton's next film, Mars Attacks. So Burton knows that in order to make this concept, which is a very high concept work. Incredibly high. Uh, he would require an A-list cast. Yes. You couldn't do this with unknowns. They Hell need no. big names to sell this. And he begins drawing on people who he'd worked and his previous directing experiences. Now, one of those experiences that he loved was working with Jack Nicholson on Batman. Of course. Now, Nicholson loved the concept so much. He would. He would think this was brilliant. Yeah, he certainly did. He asked to play all the roles. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Burton initially just wanted him to play the role of the president, but following that statement from uh, Nicholson, he thought, 
Actually, why can't he play more than one role? Yeah. And so then he offers the role of both Dale, President Dale and the sleazy developer Art Land. Fantastic. And I love Jack Nicholson. I in love both him in his roles. He's yep. so great, isn't he? Uh, for the role of Barbara Land, Burton had actually signed Susan Sarandon for the role. Oh, okay. And unfortunately, she had to be replaced. And following that disappointment and the disappointment of previously not having another actor in Batman Returns, he reached out to Annette Benning, who was meant to play yeah. Catwoman, and she was signed on as Sarandon's replacement. Fantastic. Uh, aside from all the returning previous Burton film stars, like Danny DeVito as well, and actors from both Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands, there's people like uh, Olan Jones, who's the religious fanatic yep. in Edward Scissorhands. She returns. Um, She's the redneck now. Sure is. Burton really wanted to have Hugh Grant play the professor. Oh yeah, and Hugh Grant turned down that role, and they then signed Pierce Brosnan. He was fantastic. Not a bad backup. No, he was fantastic. Uh, he is a good in it. And for the role of the president's wife, it was actually a really tough choice for him because he had four great actors who all wanted the role massively. They were Meryl Streep, uh, yeah, Diane Keaton, yeah, Stockard Channing. Oh wow! And then the role went to Glenn Close. I think Glenn is. A- it's a perfect She's one. great in this yeah, film, isn't perfect. she? Yeah, she's perfect, yeah. I think a lot of people forget that Glenn Close has good comedic chops. Oh, she does. She does. And I think also, like, she adds... She looks like the president's stuck-up wife. She does, you know, she plays she? that part really well. Did you Did you love... Uh, we'll go there just for a moment. I loved all those moments of Natalie Portman in this film. Oh. A very young Natalie Portman. But the idea... And I love that silly, the silliness of the concept that the White House is still a house someone has to live in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the fact that like poor Portman walks out her bedroom and everyone's having this big heated conversation outside the Oval Office, which is next to her bedroom. She's like, can you keep it down? People are trying to live here, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're talking about, you know, the aliens are attacking yeah. it and stuff like that. And so those moments were so Fred funny. Steiger. Yeah, it's so, so funny. I loved it. Uh, but, yeah, so Natalie Portman's in there as well. Yep. Jack Black's in there. I know. A very so young funny. Jack Black. Joe, Joe Don Baker, his dad. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. a big cast. Yeah, it? it's a fantastic cast. The more names that kept popping, I was like, what? What? I know. It just kept, just kept coming. So the film was meant to commence shooting August 95, but they pushed it back to February 96. Uh, now, one of the reasons for this was that Burton actually wanted The Martians to be stop-motion animated. That would have been fun. So he went as far as approaching Henry Selleck to, to direct and work on all the stop-motion like, moments, which he was unavailable quote yeah. unquote <laughs> due to being in production on James and the Giant Peach okay. now Warner Brothers were actually really concerned by this as well because with stop motion it could require a crew of up to 120 people just to work on the stop motion sure. animation which means the budget's going to skyrocket so they actually went through and much to Burton's wishes uh, commissioned ILM to produce some test footage of CG versions of the Martians now, ILM at the time were coming off the back of Jumanji, Jumanji. and the visual effects on that were considered cut, extremely cutting edge. They were good for its time. And so um, Burton sees the footage and agrees, oh, actually, CG may be the way to go on this and 
pulls back on his plans for stop-motion Martians. Now, the film finishes shooting June 1996 and was released December 13, 1996. Critically, it was given mixed reviews and in the US was considered a box office bomb, only taking $37 million in the US. Now, the filmmakers were unaware of the parallels that the film was going to end up having with 96's mega-hit Independence Day. Yeah, true. And so, as a result, when Independence Day came out, the film really struggled to know how to market itself yeah. and ultimately suffered massively by the fact that they were blindsided by Independence Day. I didn't want to see it because I'd just already watched Independence Day. I remember going, oh, fine. Totally. How many times we got... Because it was around those times where, you know, like Volcano, Dante's Peak, yep. all these... Like, you were getting dual films Dual films, I'm like, man, go away, Deep Impact. Yep. And yeah. 100%, man. I, I understand it. And, and as well, like... Will Smith was massive at that time. Like, he was... He was, He man. was just a megastar. Mm. And so, like, not only do you have a concept that feels like it's being retreaded... Yeah. Jack Nicholson was no competition for Will Smith. No, no, time. no. Not In for In terms superstardom. of box office yeah. draw. So, it was really challenging. Now, thankfully... The film actually was a success globally, and in particular in Europe. And so, the one hundred million dollar like budget. Americans getting killed <laughs> by aliens. Yeah, by quote aliens. Quote. <laughs> um, uh, that with marketing, they say the film had around a hundred million dollars worth of budget. Yep. And it made back one hundred and one million dollars worldwide. Well, so it done. didn't lose money. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, like most of Burton's films, though. It's gone on in time to be considered quite a cult classic and gain a huge following. So, Craig, I'd love to know, now we've heard the journey to screen, when was the last time you watched this movie? (laughs) When it was at the movies. Really? Easily, when it was at the movies. That's a long dang time, Craig. Oh, man, it was just seriously. What's that, nearly 30 years? Oh, Jesus, shut up, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah crazy town i just went i i think i went to see it merely because it was tim burton yep and i remember just going wow i really hate that film <laughs> hated it hated every little second of it hated all through it and i was like man that sucked so i guess craig hearing that response of your first viewing of the film mm-hmm. what do you feel going into it this time? I, I was very hesitant. I was like, man, this is going to be shite. <laughs> like, I, you know, I was like, oh, man. And I, especially after watching Ed Wood the other day, I was like, man. Which you I'm, did not enjoy. I'm not going to enjoy this next film. I didn't enjoy it last time either. So I was like, uh, I remember sitting. And I remember just, you know, press and play. I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's travel through the shuffle through this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that actually helped me. Help me out heaps. So your expectations were lower? Very low. Very low. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, like I said before, I'd only seen it once before. I'm pretty sure I might have watched it on VHS. Oh, VHS. Wow. So we're probably talking, it probably would have been the 90s when I watched yeah. it as well. And that would be because I loved Edward Scissorhands and was probably looking for more Burton as well. He was one of those directors that I really followed his career. Yeah, he was. Um, So, actually, no, I don't think I did because I think the first time I watched it was when I did that. I talked about watching Pee-wee's Big Adventure because I went on my very first sort of first to last journey 
years and years ago. And so it probably would have been around then that I sourced it and watched it. But I'm sure that I disliked it immensely. Yeah. And was probably I probably didn't finish it, to be honest. Oh, Look, seriously, from my memory of the first time I watched it, it sounds totally understandable. So I think it's really interesting because I guess then I'm a bit like you. I actually thought if there was a film that I could either love or hate, this was the closest that Burton had that could be so divisive for me, potentially divisive. Yeah, incredibly. Uh, and, And so I went into this. Ed Wood, I thought, could be a bit of a flop as well. Yeah. But I really enjoyed that one. Uh, So I was really interested uh, about how this would pan out. I had pretty low expectations, so low that I was sitting there and um, (laughs) a a little funny thing, there was one night where Kathy Lee was feeling a bit unwell. She's like, oh, I can't sleep. Do you reckon you could just give my feet a little rub? I'll fall asleep. (laughs) And so I thought, well, I'll... I'll put Mars Attacks on and just watch it on my phone while I give her a little foot rub. And so I did that. And usually I would watch something in that moment for 10, 15 minutes. She falls asleep and then I go hop into bed and crash out. And I sat down and watched it in one sitting late night. And Craig, if I can just jump to how I feel about it. I really enjoyed this movie. Same, mate. Same. I don't know whether I've just basically, you know, my humor's changed or, you know, the satirical, whatever, the the real part of in your face on of it. Loved it. It was so it fun, was so wasn't fun. it? It was so fun. It was so I remember hating a lot of the side characters. Yep. Um, And just going, oh, man, these guys annoy the shit out of me. But. Man, just watch it again. I'm like, this is actually quite fun. This is like a very, you know, it had such a, um, I guess, Doctor Strange love feel to oh, some sections much. of it, and 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 it did, and it, and I'm 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 happy. I watched Ed Wood obviously before it, yeah, you know, because you could see that feel throughout, and you could see where Tim Burton wanted to push the film. You know what I mean? Yes. And yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was Same. hilarious. I'm still not a big fan of the like the heads on the dogs just because they fucking <laughs> just like make me eat <laughs> the Sarah Jessica Parker oh, I know exactly oh god it's funny though isn't it but still brilliant still brilliant especially look talking about the heads when they're when they all fall off their bodies and they're rolling and they're almost kissing each other that is just fucking brilliant oh and that is just brilliant. it is isn't you it you can't just you can't you just like that is just a weird, twisted mind, and that is brilliant. But I love it. There's something oddly beautiful about it. Yeah. It's like really, and we get that later on, uh, again, later on when we get to films like Sweeney Todd and yeah. those things. There are these moments that are twisted beauty. Yeah. Well, I think that's, isn't that the point of Burton? Yeah. He's just very much yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. You could just sum up his whole career with twisted beauty. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, Craig. Mm. It is so true. But. I really, I don't know whether it was just after we talked about off air before we got on here, how crazy our lives have been outside of the podcast. It's just getting up to that sort of November, December-y sort of time that we're getting. Uh, It is a little bit hectic in both our worlds. Yeah. Uh, And so we were both talking about how busy we've been and how that can be stressful. And 
I feel like this was just what I needed. I think so. I think because you didn't have to add much weight to it. No. You know what I mean? Like the film doesn't even allow you to add weight to it. No. You know what I mean? You're not meant... Like you, like we were talking about before with the tops thing, you know, there's such an expanded universe and he kept it simple because he doesn't want you to overthink this. No. He doesn't care. He doesn't want you to care about where they came from and all that nope. shit or even what their plans were apart from just being little assholes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what I loved. I used to, I hated it originally because of that. But man, I fucking love how they're such little assholes, Do man. Do you know what? I actually wonder if these characters uh, it's it's a crazy thing we've talked about nearly every film we go i wonder though if this film was low-key crucial to some future characters yeah so those aliens they're little anarchists they're little horn dogs so essentially you end up with these um i don't know they're like they're just out to be like little party animals they're like weird little party animals that just also will kill people and and you start thinking about what becomes a modern cartoon character mm. for adults, like your Family Guys, like your Simpsons, all those sorts of things, and they start taking on some of those roles. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, like, like that that in your face anarchist type role. Yeah, yeah, but there's something cute and lovable about them. <laughs> you know, like on paper, Homer Simpson is an absolute pig. Oh yeah, he is. Do He's you know? a pig of a human being. And, but. There's something endearing about the way he goes about his actions and the madcap schemes and all those sorts of things. And I just kept thinking, watching the Martians in it, especially, you know, like when we get on board their ship and they're all like, it's like some weird party yeah, ship where in, they're all in their underpants. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and it's just weird shit hanging around, you know, <laughs> bodies and shit. I yeah. just love how to, they just... They treat they treat humans like like demented kids treat some animals <laughs> or ants and shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Humans that have no viability to them whatsoever, <laughs> and I fucking love that. I don't know, I'm old or cynical now, but I fucking love. I love how they convince the government three times that it was a fucking accident <laughs> and they actually go in and then they just kill them all and you can see how happy they are when they're fucking killing the Congress like oh my god we got him again <laughs> I'm like brilliant every time but what was funny is it got funnier every time it oh, happened Craig exactly exactly like when they when they destroyed the Senate I assume it was yep. you know, they were all different colours yeah. and they're just like oh man these these guys are br-. like seriously one of the funniest moments and I, you almost wanted to see it and let's be honest everybody sort of wanted to see it, it was when the mum was listening uh, the old grandma was listening to uh, is it Hank Williams is it us yeah. uh, Slim something else. Yeah. It's like Walt, so, Walt Slim or something. Yeah, and he's listening to it and they roll the big gun up behind <laughs> her. And you just go, oh my God, these guys are assholes. But They're fuck, like that's funny. They're like Looney Tunes characters, yeah, aren't they? fuck, that's funny, man. <laughs> oh, it's just like, you're just like, they're just horrible. They don't care. You just see them going through just killing Everything <laughs> that giant cannon. I was sitting in bed trying not to laugh hysterically oh, out loud, and it was so much fun. Seriously, I'm having so much fun just re- reminiscing on these moments because it's so funny. Same, and like almost, almost the humans are just like an excuse <laughs> to see him again. You know what I mean? And it's just like, and like hearing. <laughs> 
Hearing all the shit from friggin' poor um, Jack Nicholson, obviously, as the president yep. and all that. And you just go, oh, man, these guys are just little assholes. <laughs> fucking, but like you said earlier, there's something you're just like, I fucking love them. Oh, I love them. How silly it is when we're on the ship and you go to the leader and he's like lounging on the chair looking at a Playboy magazine. <laughs> brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. So, I, But i got to give Burton credit in here because... Like, we do get moments of the crazy kills like the cards had. Yeah. So, like the cannon with the old lady, right? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm still cracking up about it because it really is so funny. But, like, what's crazy is, and what's a real art form for Burton, is that the whole film doesn't descend into minion-like set pieces. No. It's... It's actually like he is restrained in how often he has those crazy moments. Yeah. Which adds to the humor in them. Yeah, that it breaks up in between the um it's almost like several short episodes of you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it has it's like a comedic version of The Walking Dead in essence, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> you show these little humans and humans interacting and how they're, you know, bad to other humans and stuff. Yep. And then suddenly it's in Suddenly, there's a huge zombie attack, and then they go back to you know humans being human. Yeah, uh, but but just a totally hilarious version. Oh, like fucking man. hilarious version. And I don't, I just yeah, I shouldn't enjoy it as much as I did. But man, oh. those guys are such. I love calling them little assholes because <laughs> they they're having are. so much fun. <laughs> they you that's what's one of I think that's one of the best parts of it is that I'm glad there's no. There's no forgiveness in any of the um, yeah. characters. There's no one that wants to swap sides. Each one of them is just an arsehole running around <laughs> having fun. Like, you, they're cracking up laughing as they they're are. destroying everything. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, oh, this is But it's the look of glee in there. Yeah, eyes. glee, just maniacal glee. Yeah, it's so great, hey. It's so great. And I think it's a credit, again, to the studio because... I don't think you could have got the joy out of stop motion mm. in the way that the CG does. Yeah, it's yeah, the CG does well, I guess, because it's able to add in the um, well, logically, it's able to add in that real world environment around it. Yeah, it's so funny because oh, and, and that plays it as well, the real world environment and the fact that these characters are so cartoonish. Yes, and so yeah, brilliant. It's so good, and again. I think what gets sort of, I guess it gets missed in it or it's camouflaged by the glee and the aliens and all that stuff going on. Uh, the camouflage is that you actually start to not notice how giant a scale film this is for Burton. Yeah. You know, he's got helicopters flying and blowing things up. Cars are flipping over. There's like laser beams. You know, all that stuff's going Michael off. Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox is there, you know. Man, all they have left is a steady hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what? He's trying to get through that one. It's a good that one. It it's a grower. That'll, that'll kill me when I do some editing. Um, but like, you just forget how big that is. You know, there's a heck of a lot of people converging on that place, mm. and and it's so uh, it's tactile. So it's yeah. not. We're not at the point of over the top CG. 
Yeah. So then, for therefore, you know, Burton is actually he's having to coordinate a lot of stunts. He's actually coordinating a big cast. Yeah. He's he's multiple locations. Well, yeah, yeah, probably all just around Vegas, but lots of sets. Yeah. And so there's so much going on here that you're like, wow. In terms of his films, you might say Batman Returns was. Like big in scale, but that seemed very set based as opposed to yeah. outside in the daylight, coordinating military style things going on. So that gets lost because there's all this CG going on. And I don't think Burton gets enough credit because it actually shows he actually can handle the action. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He handles it incredibly well. In a way that you would probably go, like if we watched Beetlejuice. Yeah. And you said, hey, imagine if he did a 15-minute military scene that yeah. was really action-packed with little sprinkles of humour. You'd be like, him? The yeah, Beetlejuice true. guy? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I could have seen... That's a good little scene too. Oh, it really is. So Even though, even though stupidly, Jack Black's run <laughs> is one of the stupidest runs you'll ever see. Like he actually literally, if you sit and watch it again... He runs in front of two people shooting. He totally does. Like, and, and you're just like, Jack, what are you doing? It would have been awesome if he got shot by his own people. Well, that would have been even more fantastic. I was waiting for it. Because I think like it really highlights how stupid a person he is. Yeah, like, exactly. He's just a dumb... And now, his girlfriend, is that Christina Applegate? It sure is. Christina Applegate's in there as well. She got a Hall of Fame the other day. Uh, um, The star on a walk Oh, did she? Yeah, she's suffering bad, man. She's got MS. Oh, yeah, really? I know, I know poor sad. darling. I know. I shouldn't oh. tease her. And I'm sorry, sorry, Michael J. Fox for my previous comments. Oh, um, yeah, you should take that back. <laughs> yeah, I take I it love, back. I take it I back, Michael J. Mr. I take Fox. it back. I do love Mr. Fox. Now, I could ask: Is she the same person that later in the film is having sex with someone else in the trailer? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I, it was one of those fleeting moments where I was like, I don't really want to rule. And how funny is that? When they just pick up the trailers and crash them into each other, <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. They're, they're, they're kids with they're, they're mean kids with toys. I love it. I love it so it's bad. So true. You, it's making me think of Sid from Toy Story. Yeah, exactly. It is. It is. And he just destroyed it. Oh, I love it. So good. Oh man. Oh, and seriously, Craig, I had so much fun in this movie. Jack Nicholson is having an absolute blast. I love it. As Jack. Jack should have had like a cocktail in his hand through the whole scene because totally it looked like he was should. half cut through the whole thing. <laughs> but he was so good as the president, as the dopey sort of president, yeah. which I can't, I don't know, 96, was that George Bush was in presidency Not then? sure. No, 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 George, which, oh, the, the father, George Bush, yeah. yeah, senior. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So that you, you then, go... Then we've gone to Clinton, then it went to George Bush Jr., Around September 11th. You'd, you'd say that that's a jibe at the bushes. Oh, it could be. It could yeah, be. But could be, could be a jibe at many. Like Ronald uh, Reagan true. around that time was that's true. considered, you know, he's a guy who slept, fell asleep at a table and, <laughs> you know, insane that, you know. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, I love Nicholson as the sleazy developer. Who is so hellbent on getting this thing that he's still pitching a hotel while the invasion's yeah, happening. Yeah, it's all burning around him. <laughs> he's like, let me finish, let me finish. 
love so it. good. And I love that you watch it through the window as they all pull up out the front. That was so great. Um, Annette Benning is so great as She's the sort funny, of yeah, the airhead. Yeah, the airhead who it. becomes like one of the cult followers. And they just survives it all. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But it ends up in the mountains. Yeah, 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 with all these weird animals that are just landing on it. With, <laughs> with, the, like with the boxer. Oh, that's with the boxer right. and that girl who's. Um, uh, Pam Grier's in there. Oh, yeah, that's right. You yeah. get Pam Grier's in there. Huge cast. I know. Absolutely massive. But yeah, that ends up in the surviving in the hills. Yeah. But it is, it is a funny turn. And I heard supposedly Howard Stern claims that he was the one behind the country music. Oh. And supposedly he he reckons in a show that he said that one day aliens will land and they'll die when they hear country music and it will be so and so playing who is the one that ends up either coincidentally or on purpose being the music that they chose. Well, it's it's a very similar to War of the Worlds. Very much, and yeah. and Burton is very open about the fact that he was drawing on Doctor Strangelove, yeah, uh, and he was drawing on War of the Worlds, yeah, exactly. This. And you can totally see it, yeah. But I like look, I like these aliens and the fact that they're actually all individual-minded aliens. Yes, not the one where you kill the mothership and then suddenly every they're alien all just dead. falls to the ground. And yeah, you go, same. Get the word out. I love. <laughs> I even loved, Craig, the head explosion moments. I love that. That's fantastic. And they're all inside the little... Brilliant. Brilliant. Like a blender. There's one... I think it's the one where they then go to the Taj Mahal and they're like taking that photo. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing like a little... I love it, man. Seriously. (laughs) It's it's, it's so... Oh, man. It is uh, irreverent in everything it does, man. I loved it. I thought it was just a, it was just a beautiful, beautiful like it's obviously it's not a masterpiece but it's it's a beautiful chaotic ninety minutes of just irreverence. It's seriously, it's so much fun. Is it ninety right? minutes or two hours? No, no. I'd be like it'd be like a hundred minutes I reckon, but yeah, like it's so much fun. This is a film that I know if I'm feeling a little flat and just need a silly pick me up. Oh yeah, I could watch clips of those aliens. I'd be so happy. They they nailed those aliens. <laughs> they totally, nailed them. They totally did. It was just so funny. I think the thing that I just picture in my head all the time is that one going, ack, 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 and then a whole heap of them look at each other. Then they all crack up laughing. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. It's just, <laughs> it's just so good. Oh, man. I think we just need a little compilation of the alien and moments. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, so uh, funny. So, so funny. Um, I, Look, I think this film is one that we could... You could potentially just talk about it and just list all these great moments in the film. Yeah, but it is. But it's a it heck is. of a lot of fun, isn't it, Craig? It's a great, it's a great bit of fun. It's a great bit I, of fun. Which sort of brings me to a point, Craig. I hope it's okay to go there already. Go. But when we start thinking about rankings... This one's a really fascinating one. And for me, I'm just going to tell you where I sort of go. Yeah. Is on paper, if I was to go, how does this fare as a directorial effort? It's bigger in scale, but is it the likes of, say, a Batman Returns or an Edward Scissorhands? Yeah. I don't know. But did I have a stack of fun? 
I had so yeah, much fun. Like, you know, fun. and if I go, all right, at the end of this season, would I rather watch Edward Scissorhands or would I rather watch Mars Attacks? I'll pop Mars Attacks on and have a great old time. Oh, look, seriously, it's... <sighs> How I said is, Edward Scissorhands I'll watch from start to finish. Yep. Um, I'll watch scenes from this film and I'll just crack up laughing for s- s- more often. Yes. More often. Okay. So more often now. And it's weird that it's been a rediscovery for me, but there'll be plenty of times I'll just be like, man, I'm just going to watch that scene where they're in the nursing home <laughs> and there's fucking, you see a dude in a wheelchair it's... go past his frizzled up. <laughs> ah! <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. It's so itchy it's and scratchy, every isn't room. it? They're going through Every room of the nursing home just... And you just see him destroying things, man. It is so funny. Oh, it is oh, so bad. It's so good. I just love it so much. I almost want like a video game where I get to be the Martian. Just it is. It's like a video game, nuts. isn't it? It's it's so funny. So good. So, Craig, if we take a look at the uh, Cineful Studio whiteboard, uh, at number one for Craig is Batman Returns, mm-hmm. followed by Edward Scissorhands, yep. Batman, Beetlejuice. At number five, got Edward, and number six is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. For myself, I've got Edward at number one. Batman Returns 2, Edward Scissorhands 3, Batman 4, Beetlejuice 5, Pee-wee's Big Adventure 6. I'd love to know, Craig, where are you popping this? I Look, I know there's a huge cult following behind Beetlejuice, but man, I thought this movie was heaps funnier as a comedy. Yep. Um, yeah, above Beetlejuice. Okay, above Beetlejuice. I love it. Never thought it. And I don't know if... If I would have, maybe if I watched, you know, if I didn't watch Ed Wood and or, or just didn't have this whole backup thing where I just went in with no, no expectations at all, I loved it. It's so fascinating, isn't it? I love the way that time can actually, we talk about time can sometimes sour a film. So you rewatch a movie and you go, oh, yeah. that doesn't hold up well. But then you have a moment like Mars Attacks where age... Probably context. Age makes it even better. Like you, you feel like you're watching those. You feel like you're watching a well done Edward film. One hundred percent. It's it's so true, and I just love that. You know what? This has been a really hard one for me because, uh, I don't know. I had so much darn fun watching this movie. Like it really, I needed it. Like this is a film that I literally just needed, Craig. And I think I think about it and I know that Edward Scissorhands is a better made film than this. Yeah. So I go, oh, man, I don't know if I can put it higher than Edward Scissorhands, which is at number three for me. Batman Returns, it's definitely not better than Batman Returns in, yeah. in quality of filmmaking. So if I was to talk about experience, it would be up there with like Batman Returns. You know, it would yeah. be up there. But I think it would only be fair for me to put this at, just like you have at number four, which is sort of mid-table at this yeah. point, to go, do you know what? It's not a better film than Edward Scissorhands, but gosh, it's a fun. It's a good film. And it's a fun film. I'm just so glad that this wasn't a flop yeah. in, in our viewing experience. And I love the way that Burton's journey actually... It was almost made for what we do, which is to watch his filmography from start to finish. Yeah. Because Ed Wood, to have Mars Attacks afterwards, it's the perfect transition. I'm glad I watched Ed Wood first before watching this. It's it's almost like required viewing, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It is. 
I'll tell you what a film that really um, sparked a memory for me as well, which is this film is almost, I'd love to do a film like a double billing where we watch this and then we watch Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. Oh, yeah, I still haven't watched it all. So good, Craig. Yeah, I've watched it. So it's good. funny. It's, you know, it's Adam McKay. It's, it's really clever. I just, in honesty, I loved it. So um, I think just the, the fact that there's so many parallels to, you know, your incompetent president, you know, there's there's parallels to an impending threat that some people are taking serious, other people are taking it not so serious. Yeah. You know, all those things, the parallels are all there. And I just think that they they'd be a great little pairing of absolute silliness and then highbrow silliness. Oh man, I love it so much. So yeah, I'm gonna put this at number four. Um so you've got Batman Returns at number one. Edward Scissorhands, Batman, followed by Mars Attacks. And I've got Ed Wood at number one, which people are still not happy about that. Uh, <laughs> did, you get, did you get information from that? Oh, look, I, I shared with someone the other day that it was my number one. And they were like, what the heck? Yeah, like, I agree with them, but still, you know, cut him some slack. We all have horrible decisions. That's true. That's true. Hey, I stood by my love of Rain of Fire for years and years. And when that was the last time you boy, watched that? Uh, oh, maybe last year. Oh, Jesus. Okay, cool. I I like it. I know you do, I man. Like I know you, I do a not doubt your lot. rain of fire love, man. A I still have never lot. watched it from start to finish. One day we should do it. No, man. no, there's no reason. Like, you know, there's every, it has all the right... Um, all the elements are there. All the right elements. I just, for some reason, never got through it. you got to watch it so you can hear Jared, uh, Jared Butler telling the Star Wars story. Oh, God. It's really fun. They tell the kids old stories and, and mythical stories and... They tell Star Wars as if it's like an Arthurian sort of oh, cool. tale. It's really cool. Um, so, Craig, if people are, are still wanting to tell me how much my Edward decision is a <laughs> terrible one, where where can they find us? Oh, you can go on um, at FFTL Podcast, go on to that's at Instagram and Twitter, or you can go on to um, Facebook from First to Last Podcast. We've got a group on there. Get on there and basically make sure that you obviously comment and all that type of stuff. Or if you want to go aggressive, you know, write a really long rant, put it into an email and send us to info at fftlpodcast.com. And if it's good enough, if it's a really good rant, we'll put it on the website under feedback, <laughs> which is www.fftlpodcast.com. I love it so much, Craig. Like we say every week, we love you being on the journey. Come and, to the journey. And just share us with a friend. Give One us a friend. review. One five stars. Not a religious one. One I'm friend. In trouble. Five stars. <laughs> um, and it helps us like you wouldn't believe. If you want it to chuck a review up there. Yeah, chuck a review up there. Big thanks to everyone that has done that. Damn right. Love it. Thank you for taking Love the time. Love it. I appreciate um, it. I don't know why, but I'm going to plug our friends at Popcorn Podcast. Check yeah, them out. They're them. awesome. They're, They're, They're doing awesome. great things. Uh, we love them. Uh, Drink some Glee roast coffee roasters. Oh yeah, got Glee coffee. Get on that. Yeah, get, on, get on it. They're doing some great things at the moment, including a new uh, decaf range. So if you like to have a nice beverage of coffee at night time, but don't want to be woken up, check out their decaf. No, nah. like tasty. sex in a boat, <laughs> fucking too close to water. <laughs> Crying, that's terrible. They usually say that about light beer. <laughs> <laughs> so so funny. Actually, 
This will change your mind, Craig. It's pretty darn good. I'm they've been sure. working I'm on it for a Seriously, I'm pretty sure it's good. Everything they've done, the coffee roasters have been yeah, pretty good. Yeah, so while you're Glee, there, Glee get awesome. some of that. Check out gleecoffeeroasters.com.au. Check out their store. Use the code FFTL and you'll get a 15% discount. 15! So you can get that decaf coffee into your veins. It's going to be great. Damn right. Um, Next week, we are taking a little detour from Tim Burton's filmography. We're going to bring you a mini episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. What are we talking, Craig? We're talking Superman. Superman Lives? Superman Lives, that's Damn. right. Do, 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 he does do. live. Thank you, Henry Cavill. He does. Thank you, Dwayne Johnson. He does. Hey, can I share? The, well, that's what we're talking next year. Dwayne Johnson has brought I haven't seen Black Adam yet, so I don't know if it was good or oh, not. yeah. So, so it's a superhero film. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yep, very cool. So we'll talk Superman Lives. We know there's a lot of stuff out there about Superman Lives, but just for people to get our little take on it. Most uh, people I know don't know it. Okay, awesome, Craig. We're, we're gonna we're gonna actually draw a, on a it's documentary. A topic you need to search for. That's right. There. Here's the short story of it. Tim Burton was gonna make a Superman film. Yep. He cast Nicolas Cage. Yeah. The mega Superman fan. And a long hair. Long hair, glowing neon suit. Man. And there are pictures to prove this. So we will be talking that film. The the plot of it, how far they got into production, yes. including footage of Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage with Nicolas Cage in full costume. Fantastic. We'll talk that. Give you a little mini episode based around that, which should be a stack of a lot of fun. We'll also talk the documentary that was released about it called The Death of Superman ah, Lives. Brilliant. Which I can't wait to talk about that as well. So we're going to do that. Now, before we finish, can I share some Burton news that was Burton in the thing? Burton. Aside from we're really close to having Burton. a release Burton. of Burton. Wednesday. Burton news. Burton. But Tim Burton came out this week. He came out in the closet. In, no, 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 he not didn't. that man. Not, not that man. He loves being. He's in like the he's he's like better than the half in there. He's like better than the half. But Tim Burton came out in a bit of promotion for Wednesday, which yeah. is the Adams Family TV series that he has been directing for Netflix, and talked about that he has ended his partnership with Disney. Ooh, so he actually came out. He's on Netflix said, now, and said, "Well, he is. He's a, he's in the the Netflix house, but." He said that after Dumbo, he just felt completely done with his relationship with Disney, which was that it was all about the machine. Yeah. And he just didn't want a part of that anymore. So he actually was very clear that Dumbo was his last film with Disney. And that partnership is done, done and dusted. Well, I haven't either, Craig. I've actually been saving it for, Same. for here. So it'll be really interesting to see how that is. I think Dumbo is an interesting one because when I think of Tim Burton as a director for Dumbo. Yeah. I don't feel like he's the best fit. It feels weird. Yeah. and But and the Dumbo cartoon is a little bit dark. Dumbo cartoon is super dark. Super duper dark. Mm. Um, we watched it recently with Evie and then realized, holy moly, we should probably vet some of these animated mm. ones because he gets very drunk in it. Uh, Does he? He has a whole hallucination scene with Fantastic. pink bubble um, <gasps> elephants. Is that where it comes from? Yeah. Okay. Dumbo. Okay. Um, and so it's really interesting because Burton, you think about it, would be a, a filmmaker who wants his creative freedom. Yeah. So a project like Dumbo, you can't really take many liberties around it. No, exactly. Because yeah, it's such a 
it's a known brand. Yeah. It's so, a brand versus a brand, really. So and it never works. It never does, does it, Craig? Because there's too much constriction. Sometimes you can have a director like John Favreau who works great with constriction. Mm. But Favreau isn't a brand himself. No. You know, we, Burton's a brand himself. Yes, that's so true. So when you when you when when it's a Burton brand fighting, you know, a Dumbo brand, yeah. you know, it's yeah. It's, it's too hard. hard, isn't it? You don't often see it. You don't often see it actually work. No. So that'll be a really fascinating entry into this filmography when mm. we get there, Craig. And we will get there sometime in the future. Fantastic. So as we said, next week we're going to be talking Superman Lives. Superman All lives. things Nicolas Cage. Oh, good old it's going to be so fun. So from all of us here at From First to Last Podcast, I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And we'll catch you next week. See you guys. <laughs>